If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. indicators who knows where this is going to end up to understand the economy you have to understand human nature this podcast is powered by Acast. how are you doing it is podcast time and today john today we're going to talk about one of the as you were just saying to me the unintended consequences of the war in ukraine yes which is up your street. Right up my street. It's the idea that one of the unintended consequences, positive unintended consequences of the war in Ukraine has been everybody now knows the urgent need to wean ourselves off dependency on Russia uh, for gas and oil. And of course, dependency on Russia for gas and oil was one of those soporific issues that put us to sleep in terms of us understanding the urgency of climate change. Yeah. Because as long as your energy is sort of cheap and available, well then, you don't really have to entertain the notion that we have to cut our emissions. And, you know, ironically, John, had you done anything to wake up the West about climate change and the green agenda and bringing carbon emissions down, it would have been a conflict with Russia where you bring together security concerns mm. and climate change concerns at the one thing, because now people know we have to invest hugely yeah. in alternative... And quickly. Hugely and quickly in alternative forms of energy, sustainable forms of energy. We've got to wean ourselves off basically burning stuff. I mean, like, when we talk about fossil fuels, people forget it's just, just it's burning shit. Yeah. And that's how, that's how basic it is. Now, luckily, people who were on the stage with us the other night Eric and Corrine. Eric Lonergan and Corrine Sawyer have written a fantastic book called Supercharge Me. We had them at the Olympia. It was a baptism of fire introduced. They were great, though. They They were were great. great. They were great. So let's now go straight up to London, talk to them about Supercharge Me, their book. And again, the frame, the framework in the back of your head is to think people's minds have been focused now on weaning ourselves off Russian power and fossil fuels. 
And this will add enormously, enormously to our movement to accelerate sustainable energy production. In fact, the EU now is saying, don't worry about debts, borrow for a green transition because that's what it's all about. So let's go to London. Let's talk to Eric and Corinne about how we transition from fossil fuels to sustainable energy. Now, if you, over the Christmas, had rare, nothing else to do, you might have seen Don't Look Up, the movie, in which two protagonists try to warn the world of an impending meteor strike, an allegory for climate change. Not that subtle, but kind of effective. In the leading roles was Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. And on the line now, we have the Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> and Jennifer Lawrence of economics to tell us all about a new book, fantastic book called Supercharge Me, Climate Change. It's Eric Lonergan and Karina Sawyers, Leonardo and Jennifer. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. How are you guys? Very well. Thrilled to be here. Thrilled, thrilled to be with you as always. Excellent. Listen, it's great. It's great to both see you and talk to you. I think I might stick with it, Leonardo and Jennifer. <laughs> Leo and Jen. I mean, I'm very flattered. I'm not sure Eric has right to be flattered given the state in that film. But no, but you've made the other the, the Karina Lonergan very, very happy because Leonardo, as you know, obviously Renaissance. I, I mean, know, of a course. beautiful connection. Of course, you see the Lonergans, half Italian, you know, they can be Paolo Maldini on the one hand <laughs> and Paulie O'Shea on the other, you know, depending. I mean, I'm not kidding. I, I think Leonardo was on the cards and my father just had to put the put his foot down and said, no way, not in a Dublin playground. He's not going to be called Leonardo. Could you imagine you were called Leonardo Lonergan, <laughs> are <laughs> How long would you have lasted on the playing fields of Dublin? Anyway, let's get to the book. The book is Supercharged Me. Okay, it is an outstanding call to action, what we have to do to avert climate change, urgent and realistic. Talk me through it. Give me the first, the big idea is where are we now? What is the fact? What do we need to do as yeah. soon as possible? Tell me. So we essentially, to hit the climate goals set by the global community, we have to halve emissions between 2020 and 2030. Okay. So it's a pretty, it, speed is the name of the game. And that essentially involves rebuilding huge sectors of our economy. We're really talking about an industrial revolution here, but one that we have to sort of artificially accelerate. Now, you know, what is often missed is that this is essentially the largest reallocation of capital in human history. But what we often feel quite frustrated by and partly motivated us to write this book is the sort of the negative spin on this uh, and the constant description of this as a cost. The number of times we're listening to BBC Radio 4 and someone's interviewing a politician and saying, who's going to pay for this? Who's going to pay for this? You know, the, the, the UK net zero plan. But really, this isn't a cost. This is investment spending. And so, so we lay out this case for why, you know, building on Nick Stern, Carlota Perez, this should be raising living standards for the vast majority of people. Uh, this is an opportunity, not a cost. And yes, we need to sort of artificially make it faster happen than it otherwise would. But this is, this is an opportunity. So what you're saying is this is, let's first of all, change the language, which is, 
stop looking at this as something, a burden that we should carry our shoulder in a way and actually say, you know what, if we do this, we're in a fourth or fifth industrial revolution and we can change the way we work and we can change the way we live and we can change the way the economy operates. Okay, so let's go. Let's tell me, how do we do this? But so first point number one, and I, I hopefully this really helps listeners. This was a, a really big breakthrough moment, I think, for both of us is we had a very interesting meeting with Adair Turner. You've probably heard of Adair Turner. He's a big brain chair of the Energy Transmission Commission, huge expert in climate policy. And we pinned him down and said, if you were a dictator and you could do three things, what would they be? Because my frustration with this is it's a, it's a movement without a manifesto. Right? Okay. So that everybody's saying we want explain, to- Explain that to me, Eric. Right. You've got everybody, everybody is now on the same page, right? The climate deniers are, are an irrelevant fraction of the global population. You've got people out on the streets. You've got Greta Thunberg. You've got Extinction Rebellion. But if you said to me, if Greta Thunberg was in power, what are the three pieces of legislation she's put in place? I don't know what they are. Is she going to say everybody's got to become a vegan? You know, do I stop using my dishwasher and start washing the plates by hand? It's not clear, actually, what we're fighting for in practical terms. And the crux of it is actually relatively simple as a problem. And here's the punchline. If we make our electricity sustainable, right? So if we get as close as we can to 100% sustainable electricity generation, and we use existing technology to get everything that we can on run by electricity, right? So run our cars by electricity, heat our homes by electricity, get manufacturing all powered by electricity. So make electricity sustainable, electrify everything, emissions will fall by 70%. Wow. And how do we make electricity sustainable? How do we move away from basically burning fossil fuel to generate heat, to generate electricity, to something else? I'm going to just step back a bit and put the nature of that task in context, which is that, you know, we we came up with this categorization um, about the types of problems to solve to get to, to net zero or a de- fully decarbonized economy, what we call simple maths, mini musks and herding sheep. Okay. So simple maths is where there's a problem, where there's a technology that exists and is relatively affordable. And we're really just talking about making the, the numbers work, allocating enough investment at the right cost of capital. The second category, mini musks, is where we need more musks. We need more massive investment spend in R&D. So this includes air fuel, where we don't really have a a decarbonized alternative currently, or cement. And then finally, herding sheep is where we have to rely on human behavior change. So the current example there is often diets. Now, the reason this bucketing is helpful and and exciting (laughs) is that electrification almost all sits in simple maths. And that is the easiest piece. Changing human behavior is really, really hard. I would not put a bet on changing human behavior, personally. It's really hard. Mini musks, it's doable, but again, they're bigger bets. Simple maths, we've just got to channel the right amount of capital to the right projects. So this is really, really- Give me an example of this, Karina. Give me an example of what you see as things that could be done with the right amount of capital very quickly. Yeah, so- It's essentially scaling up renewable power generation globally. So that is around the world, scaling up solar, 
wind, offshore and onshore, hydro. Those are the big three, really. This is this is music, music to our ears as I look out the window on a lovely Dublin February morning where the wind is howling off the Irish Sea. No, but if you look at it, you look at the waves are lashing in on Dunleary Pier and you're thinking, that's a lot of energy. A lot of energy. Mother Nature is actually hurling at us. We can grasp that. We can actually harness this in some way. And and the fantastic thing is, due to the the work decades of activists and innovators and some good policies, the costs and the lead times on those projects are thankfully affordable and achievable to really, really scale these up in the next 10 years. But on top of the power generation, we also need to improve the grid infrastructure. So the grid infrastructure carries that energy from the generators to our homes, to our industrial processes and storage, because unfortunately, most renewables don't inherently store, right? Unlike coal and oil, which are inherently stored energy. Once you capture the solar, you need to find a way to store it, which is where we look at battery and um uh, hydro pumps and various other forms of technology. So those are the big buckets of technology we need to scale up. Now, where Eric got really excited, a quick aside here, that when we first met, Eric Eric really thought he could impress me with how much he knew about interest rates. It's one of the things he thinks is really quite sexy. Uh, now, now, tell me, tell me, I'm very interested in this. Though. How does a woman react <laughs> when a man sidles up to her at the bar and says... I'll tell you about the Lombard rate. Well, I, 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 honest, I said, mate, I think you've got other things going for you, and I would, I would take another bet. Let's this start again. Here. I'm here. I mean, it seemed to work. <laughs> go on. So, did you move quickly? Let me give it a go. I, I mean, so interest you know. rate. Interest rates come in here. They are, they are, for better or worse, very important. But it's worth, it's worth just on. The, there's a big point of optimism here. Right. So the first thing we said, so because you go, OK, we, we get our grid sustainable. Let's harness all that wind when we look out the window or if we're in Spain uh, or Africa, let's harness all of that sun or Australia and then let's get everything onto the grid. But how easy is it to harness this stuff? And I think it's really important to spell out how fortunate we are. If you look at wind and solar, they have extraordinarily low lead times, short lead times. And what I just mean by that is, is you can build a wind farm in 18 months. You can build a solar farm in 18 months. Now, nuclear and coal, like coal-fired power generation used to take people 10 years to build a coal-fired power station. So the first thing we're incredibly lucky about is you can build this stuff really, really quickly. And then the second thing we're really lucky about is, and this is a point you and I have spoken about an awful lot, David, is it's an investment where we can make a return. So it would be a bit like, and this is one of my big frustrations with this discussion, is it's a bit like talking about the housing market and never mentioning mortgages. We shouldn't be talking about investment spending in renewable energy without talking about the state's cost of capital. I come back to this point. The Irish government can borrow at sub 2% interest rates. Most wind generation projects are making 8 to 12% returns. So this is a very clear, very easy 10 to 8% real rate of return over your cost of capital. Exactly. And so why is this, again, I come back to the idea, because I want to go on to your epic idea and all these other Why do you think the issue of climate change is mired in the language of cost and not opportunity? I'm going to actually tease this out. Why do you think this is, we've actually ended up where this sort of, 
bean counting accountant is dominating, uninformed accountant clearly, is dominating the discourse? It's interesting. Part of it may be vested interests. Okay. There are there are some, there are losers yeah. in every transition, right? There are some losers. In our book, we we say we think those losers are actually a very small share of the population and and tend to be well off, the owners of the stranded assets. Um, How do you mean so the stranded assets? Explain that to me. The stranded assets are the assets which, if the energy transition happens, will collapse in value very quickly. So this is oil, so oil gas, gas infrastructure. Yeah. Okay. Car dealerships, existing car dealerships. Not the car dealerships like, should be able to change their business model. Right. Okay. Uh, oil and gas companies are changing their business model too. So, you know, we also, we make the point in the book, look, transitions, there are often losers. The, re- the high street has been absolutely annihilated the last two decades, but mm-hmm. that wasn't a reason to not go through the transition we've gone through in terms of how retail operates. Right. So there will be losers. It may be partly vested interests. We also think it's partly just sort of economists not being great communicators. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And they, you know, you will relate to this, not right? To- yeah. Because we have a section in the book on this that, that it's, a, it's a very clever idea of economists called opportunity cost. But to most people, that's not what they mean by cost. Now, there is an opportunity cost here. In other words, we could be building schools instead of yes. building wind farms. Okay, but actually, we're not doing that, you know, as an aside. We're not doing either. So there you go. Exactly. So, But it's still the bottom line is we can borrow a two and make six, which means we are creating wealth for our society. But Corin's absolutely right. You know, there is a loser here, and that's the owner of the existing asset that we're making redundant. In other words, we want to close down the coal-fired power generators, the gas-fired power generators. And there is a loss to the household as well. I mean, we think most of this loss is actually held by the owners of capital. This is a really interesting dimension, is the big loss. You know, if you look, who owns fossil fuel assets? It's a fraction of 1% of the global population. If you look at the number of people who work in fossil fuel industries, it's less than 1% of the global labor force. So there just is not a big loss. But it is true. You know, if you've got a petrol car, you've got to, instead of depreciating it over 10 years, we want you to depreciate it over four years or five years. Yeah, so that's, that, that, is, that, is, that is a loss. That, 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 I, can't that is a loss. I can't emphasize enough this, you know, I was... My previous employer, McKinsey, who do fantastic, fantastic research on the energy transition and all this, published a report last week on, and I couldn't, I was so frustrated. The headline was, the cost to get to net zero is nine trillion a year. What they mean is the investment spending needed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that headline yeah. freaks people out. And everyone says, who the hell's going to pay for it? And my tax is going to go up, you know? And I think that's another point we're, we're pretty relentless about in the book is pragmatism and realism. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we have this... The saying, people only change their behavior if the alternative is better, cheaper, or their friends are doing it. Businesses change their behavior if they make more money. And politicians change their behavior to get elected. Okay, so let's take those three. That's, a, that's really succinct. I love it. So people change the behavior if it's worthwhile or their mates are doing it. Exactly. Number one. Okay. Corporations change their behavior if they're making a few shekels. And politicians change their behavior if they get elected. Okay, so let's focus on this in the context of supercharge me changing carbon emissions. Talk about punters, because I'm very fascinated by your epic idea, your extreme positive incentives. I love this idea. Explain Mm. that to me and the listeners. Yeah. So epics came to us when we were asking the very important question, what's worked? 
okay, we've got to massively accelerate the transition from one type of infrastructure and technology to another across a number of sectors. Where are there case studies where this has happened? And the answers you have, you know, EVs in Norway, EVs in certain Chinese cities, offshore wind in, uh, in the UK, solar globally, the answers tended to have this common theme of really extreme positive incentives. And so we coined extreme positive incentives for change. Now, what we mean by positive is the the end recipient needs to feel they're better off. Yeah. And that how that happens can be a tax rebate or it can be a subsidy or it can, you know, Lu Zhu in China is literally handing out cash for people for the number of miles they've driven in their EVs, right? Can, in the, their electric the, vehicles. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the mechanism for it can be a whole load of different things, but it needs to feel like they're better off. So the, the idea is that people change their behavior when you make them better off and they change their behavior really quickly when you make them really better off. Yeah. Yeah. Really simple. If you want to get, if, if you look at the case in Norway, if you want to get people to buy electric vehicles, you go into a Volkswagen dealership in Norway and the list price, the price of the electric vehicle is 20% cheaper than the petrol vehicle. So lo and behold, 95% of sales are electric vehicles. Yeah. And, and our view is just do that across every single sector of the economy. We want to have an economy where the, the zero or low carbon alternative is 20 or 30% cheaper than the carbon version. And you can do that for steel. Like what we need to do is we need to change the tax rates, change VAT rates, change the incentive structure. So, you know, you're, we're already creating green steel in Europe. Now, to put it in context, steel is 7% of global emissions, right? Seven times more important as an industry than the UK economy. It's huge. Why isn't green steel 30% cheaper than carbon steel? I'd even go, you know, I go to the, the other extreme, the consumer behavior in diet. I've started going every time I pass a Burger King, I go in Burger King now because there's a, there's a, there's a competitor to the Whopper, which is the Impossible Burger, which generated by Beyond Meat in America. Why isn't it 30% cheaper? Absolutely. And what you're saying is you can, what you can do is you can change the VAT rate. So the government yeah. can explicitly change prices if it wants on everything. Yeah. And that's the incentive that people need to say, do you know what? I'm actually going to go and buy the electric vehicle. Or I'm or, or, or a an accountant working in a large steel, large, let's say, for example, infrastructure company says, I'm going to get green steel. Yeah. And that that's accountant a gets a bonus for actually cutting costs. Because it's cheaper. Because it's cheaper. Okay, so you the do that. The biggest risk is you'll be too successful. Right. I mean, that's the, this this works. If you look at the examples, if you give people incentives to do solar, they'll do solar. It's very, very powerful. Okay. And let's talk about the, the So that's how you change behavior. And then again, there's the bragging effect, which is that once somebody changes the behavior, you know, it's, it's how you create fans, it's how you create any sort of momentum in any product is mates tell mates and everyone. Humans, the great thing we know about humans is we are great copycats. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what we've done since we were hanging out saying, fellas, see this Flint malarkey. I tell you, if you flick this a bit, this fire thing, we can get this thing going. Right. Like humans copy other humans. Right. So we get that. Corporations. Corporations are driven by the P&L. Yeah. Explain that little bit to me as well in terms of the epic structure. Well, I think this is important because there's a lot, you know, I, I work in business and in, in kind of climate sustainability transformations in business. And there's a big narrative that kind of goodwill or, or you know, the part of, you know, businesses yeah. in a good purpose in the world is going to get us there. ESG sort of thing. 
we're slightly trying to cut through that and say, yeah, there are, of course, there are CEOs who care and might be taking a hit to their bottom line. But still, there's a fundamental operating logic to business, which if we're going to make this happen at scale, we have to use. You can't make this happen without making it work for the bottom line. Right? Yeah. So that's- no, and I was I was watching the the, the, the the scrap last week between Unilever yes. and a famous UK fund manager called Terry Smith. Terry Smith was saying, look, Unilever, look, I get all the ESG stuff. I love it. I'm with you. But you've got to actually make me wealthy because I'm your shareholder. So what you're saying is there is a way of fusing this, of making ESG and all the woolly stuff and the nice stuff actually financially doable. Explain that to me. Well, those incentives are aligning, because particularly in the climate and sustainability part of the ESG People are seeing the writing on the wall. They know that this transition is going to happen and that the relative value of different assets is going to shift and shareholder expectations are changing. So, you know, many investors are saying, yes, we want you to make us money, but we're okay for you to make us a bit less money if you're treating your workers well or you are really supporting diversity in the workforce. And then that's a very, very big and complicated topic and maybe we should revisit it another time, the role of ESG in financial markets business. Yeah, if I could just... Well, you know, in terms of diversity, I work with John all the time and he's very... (laughs) (laughs) There's two points I'd make on this, David. One is that share prices are being affected and they care about share prices. So in other words, so so if you look at the share prices of the fossil fuel industry have now been falling for about 15 years, right? They're volatile, as you know, like like everything in the stock market from one year to the next or one quarter. But the reality is that it's been, a broadly speaking, you've lost money if you've owned carbon intensive businesses over the last 10 to 15 years in the stock market. That's why these businesses are changing. You can call it ESG, but the bottom line is their share prices are going down and if you're a green business, your share price has been going up. Now, whether th- that, that may reverse. We know what stock markets are like. You can get bubbles, et cetera. That's the first key point. That's why these businesses are changing. The second key point is what govern- government needs to do is we need to tilt the, the playing field. And we've got a lot of proposals in the book to do this. So we need to be really clever, whereby we need to really incentivize the good actors and punish the bad actors. So one of our ideas, for example, is a contingent form of of corporate taxation. In other words, to say, we're going to look at every industry and look at where best practice is, and we're we're going to benchmark at best practice in emissions. And if you're operating in that industry and your emissions are higher, you're going to be liable for a windfall tax. Give me an example again. I always want an example. So give me an example of an industry or, or a company, let's say. Yeah. So let's take, for example, an electricity utility. So you might say you've got four or five electricity UK. Well, electricity it, 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 in Ireland, we have one very large one called ESB and then a few little Mickey Mouse. That's Mouses. a good point, ESB. Yeah. Well, let me take take the European steel industry or you yeah. take European yeah. utilities. Take European utilities and you say, right, I'm going to benchmark you all and I'm going to take... You know, the Dutch utility has the lowest level of emissions. If anybody exceeds that by 20% in the next five years, they're going to be liable to a a windfall tax. Now, that creates a huge incentive because actually I want to become best practice now. And you can literally say we're going to benchmark you against the best performer in the industry. So we want to kind of race to the top here. 
And the point is, these companies, the companies are ready to move because the CEOs are hearing it from their kids. Mm. They can't go to dinner parties or show their face if they're in fossil fuel industries. Right? You've got every type of social pressure at work. But we need to shift the incentives in all of these. So because we're pushing on an open door, but we really need to accelerate it. You've and also- that's, I think, how, how we need to be thinking in terms of of companies. But what, what, I, what I found very, very interesting is the idea of this green Bretton Woods, which is something we talked about even the other week, John and I were talking about, you know, in terms of the Bretton Woods, which I love the fact that in the Bretton Woods conference, the only subsector of the society they banned were bankers, which I think is really quite interesting. They were actually banned from fucking, you know, coming into the Bretton Woods conference, right? Which is, which is interesting. But what's this green Bretton Woods idea? So, you know, often when you, you talk to folks who are, are, are learned on this topic, you know, in the UK where we're based, they say, what's the point in us doing anything? The UK is 1% of global emissions. Look at China, you know, look at India. The, yeah, no, no, I, I, we hear that all the time. You think you're getting bad in the UK? Imagine getting in Ireland, like Ireland actually said, sure, it doesn't matter for us. We can, we can, we, yeah. you know, we're, yeah. we're tiny, and, you know. And, and we, and, you know, we fundamentally disagree with that because we think there's an incredibly, incredibly important role for role modeling. Let's show what can be done. Let's show what policy levers and what business leadership can achieve and other companies, policies, you know, governments copy each other. They copy each other. So that's, yeah, well, it's back to the, that idea. So, so we, we we fundamentally reject that sort of what what does it matter on two for two reasons. One that you know we should be role modelling and experimenting, and then secondly, we the UK or Ireland or Denmark, as we use the example in the book, can influence these big where the will is actually in China and India are demonstrating extraordinary progress. China has now half of global offshore wind capacity and has deployed, I think, in the last year, the same amount the rest of the world has built in the last five years. The speed. Yeah, no, I've heard that. And and it's funny because, you know, the typical meme for the poor old Chinese is that it is a big belching industrial outfit that is burning coal and really doesn't care about the environment and is actually not best practice, but worst practice. But the reality is the Chinese have really taking this by the scruff of the neck. They really are. But what we would say is there's there's a category of countries who want to get at this, but face different costs of capital structurally. So India, for example, where India, coal is king, enormous existing, you know, coal industry, they face a cost of capital of maybe 9%, 10%, right? Now, the Green Bretton Woods idea is we, in developed economies can take our government balance sheet, invest it in Indian clean energy infrastructure, make a return. So we're not giving money away. We're making a return and we're enabling a much wider set of projects to be economically viable because currently the threshold is 9%, 10%. You make at least that to make the project viable in India. You reduce the cost of capital to 3 4%. You're going to You change the game. Yeah. So, so that's in in a short the what the Green Bretton Woods idea is, and we we just think this could be happening at a huge scale to yeah, mobilise that transition of that flow of capital to these projects that are needed in these huge emitting countries. Now, just before we go, the book again is supercharged me. It is a fantastic read, and it's exceptional in the sense that it has pragmatic, realistic proposals for change that are doable. And that actually puts it into a very useful category of books about climate change. And I really mean this because there's a lot of really 
useless books about climate change. It doesn't come with the practicalities. As we conclude, what would you, what's, what's your message for myself, for listeners in terms of, we started with, we have to have global emissions in 10 years. Okay, so that's a big, that's a big challenge. We know human behavior is difficult, slow, almost impossible to change in certain levels. What is your big message in terms of optimism? Because Eric, you, you use the word optimistic. And Corinne, you also said, look, this is an opportunity. So if you're actually to give two or three quick takeaways, what would they be? The first one I would say is just be really clear about the nature of the problem, right? Which is we have the technology to get close to 100% renewable electricity, right? So we harness what is free, which is sun and wind. Right? Part of the reason electricity bills are so high everywhere in Europe at the moment is because we're dependent on gas. If, if, if we weren't dependent on gas, prices would be a lot, low, a lot lower. So the first thing I would say is, in one way, 70% of this problem is very tractable. And it's actually about harming investment. And we're in an incredibly fortunate generation because the technology now has very short lead times. We can build this stuff quickly and we have a very low cost of capital. So, so in a sense, for me, the really motivating force here is about forcing our governments, reiterating to everybody involved in policy, in business, in government, to accelerate investment spending. This is not about destroying our economy. It's about changing what fuels our economy. And we have the technology to do that. And broadly speaking, if you look at the history of technological revolutions, as Karen alluded to, that tends to mean cleaner air, better technology, higher standards of living, and better jobs for people. And what I would say, we have a chapter on, on the individual. And, you know, we explore in that the fact that the individual in many ways has never been more powerful as an activist to shape the narrative of governments to businesses you buy from. So, so that's kind of our main recommendation to individuals, whoever they are, is engage in this. You know, we're giving you a frame on what the solution is and be, get out there and be vocal about what you're expecting from your governments, from your banks, from the businesses you engage with, from your employers as well. We have huge leverage as employees. Well, um, I think Eric Lorton and Corinne Sawyers, as I said at the top, the Leonardo and Jennifer Lawrence. No, but I mean, get back to that idea of don't look up. Don't look up is a great example of sticking your head in the sand. When you know there's a problem coming down, and you know that you can actually at least avert it in some ways. The book has supercharged me. Thank you both very, very much. Great stuff. Listen, thanks very much, guys. We'll talk to you very soon. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks Cheers, very guys. much. Bye. All the best Bye. now. Thank Bye. you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. That was great, actually. Fascinating yeah, stuff. Good and stuff. actually, we, we need more of that, you know, that kind of thinking as well. Yeah. But what he was saying there at the beginning, what Eric was saying at the beginning there is that, like, the green movement in general is a movement without a manifesto. Yes. Loads of great yeah, ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that kind of stuff. And I've always thought, and I've always felt that the green movement, what they've always suffered from is bad communication. And more confused communication. And it's a little bit like, do you remember you always said about the left? The left look for traitors and the right look for converts. Yeah, like the right coalesce around one issue. Say, okay, we can all agree on this. Let's go. Yeah. Because yeah. the left say, oh, no, you're not left enough for me. And yeah, I was yeah. reading and Trotsky. Gr- I was reading Gramsci the other day and Gramsci said this and Trotsky said, yeah. And the green movement is exactly the same, you know, because everything that's remotely green or environmentally friendly or whatever is all wrapped up in the one issue like so it's kind of everything from you know save the whale and save the polar bear to the ozone layer to acid rain to you know yeah no you're absolutely it's it's, it's kind of like like people religious people i'm always intrigued about the more religious you are the more likely you are to split with other religious people yeah so you have like the yeah. fifth Presbyterian church yeah. and the third Presbyterian church. And it's a bit like Joycean's. I've always thought it's the same thing. Well, you didn't really interpret Bloom properly, you know, all that sort yeah. of So it's as if there's a sacred scripture. And if you deviate from any, any even iteration of the scripture, well, you're not one of us. Yes. And exactly. then the other problem is, if you're going to talk about the left and the right before we go back to Corrine and Eric, is that there's also this notion of the watermelon which I think is a very interesting uh, new uh, You accuse my brother of being a watermelon. Yeah, 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 yeah. So green on the outside, but red on the inside. Yeah. So they're actually socialists. Yes. Who have run out of some ideas, but they say, aha, we have a big idea here, which is the environment, and we can wrap that. Yeah. But actually, it's, it's disguised lefties uh, dressing up as environmentalists. But 
And that may well be true. Well, because it was always considered as, you know, the, the big polluters are the corporations. Yeah. And it's and it's zero growth and all those yeah. things. And, yeah. and and they're right as well. Like, this is the idea of this, is that everyone is a bit right in all these things. Yeah. But, it's, but I'm a firm believer, again, it's something else that you said, but I'm a firm believer in when it comes to green issues, you can't let the perfect bully the good. Yes. Yes. That is... Quoting Rousseau, John. Oh, was I? I'm telling you, quoting Jean-Jacques Rousseau. I just attribute everything to you. And I just rob everyone else's quotes. So that's just the way it works. But let's go back. Let's conclude. What is fascinating there is that Eric and Corinne outlined one fascinating thing. Renewable energy is profitable. Right? Yeah. They talked about the cost of capital being 2% and the return, the annual return on these investments between 8 and 10. So there's a real return of 8 to 10%. So not only is it not a cost, it's a financial opportunity. That's mm. the first thing. The second thing is governments can, by using the tax system, change the price system and change incentives and create these epics. Yeah. And also the fact is the clock is ticking. Well, that's, that's the know? main thing. You the main know? thing is the clock is ticking. You can change behavior and kind of let's do it. And I think that's the message from that book is it's all doable, but you've got to do it now. Just a quick shout out to all our Patreons. Thank you so much for supporting us over the last year. I hope you're enjoying the course. I hope you're enjoying the questions. I hope you're enjoying the uh, chats on Patreon. And if you do fancy supporting us, all you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.